Um, Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly, uh, asking you to uh, teach us, to uh, show us the riches of Scripture when it comes to uh, mercy ministries. And Lord, we pray that you would just be glorified uh, with our hearts' attentions. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start um, a two-week series on mercy ministry. And so uh, I'm really excited because uh, I spend a lot of time uh, looking and uh, studying and researching, and so I'm excited to kind of uh, unpack it for you. Um, and I think it will uh, be paradigm shifting for a lot of you, and so I hope that'll be a good experience. I see people hovering outside. All right, um, number one, point number one. One of the distinguishing marks of the Christian life is engagement with the poor. You cannot call yourself a uh, follower of Jesus Christ if you neglect the poor, right? And so, what I mean by that is that um, to engage the poor and to help the poor is not something that only some Christians do, right? It's not kind of like an ornament to the Christian life, like, oh, you know, there are some Christians who don't help the poor, and there are some Christians who, you know, love the poor, so they help the poor, but it is central to the Christian life, um, right? There's probably no more commandment or emphasis in the Bible than to help and love the poor. Uh, and that tells us, right, that God loves the poor, that uh, God is for the poor, God identifies with the poor, God lifts up the poor. And if we don't help and love the poor, then we do not know God, and, and, uh, and God's love does not abide in us, right? And so let's read um, just two verses to kind of frame our understanding. First John, can I have uh, Clarence read that for us? Yeah. So what is this verse telling us? It's telling us that um, to help the poor and to share with the poor is an expression of God's love. Right? So that if you understand God's love, you will help the poor. And if you neglect the poor, right, then your understanding of God's love is merely in word and talk. And it's not in deed and in truth, right? It's a very superficial understanding of God's love. Um, how about James, which pretty much says the exact same thing. Um, Aikman. Our brother or sister is in poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things needed for their body. What good is that? Also faith by itself. If it does not have words, he says. Yeah, so... James is telling us that a faith that neglects and ignores the poor is actually not faith at all, but it's dead faith, right? Or false faith. Um, and so what do we learn here? We learn that um, engagement with the poor is not optional. Okay? That's what, um, that's what James and that's what John is telling us. Right? You cannot ignore the poor and continue to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to engage. You have to love the poor. You have to, um, to, to love what God loves. Um, any quick questions there? No? So that's just framing it. Alright, so, so that starts. Alright, point number two. The Bible gives us two reasons to love the poor. 
gospel reenactment and justice. Okay, to help the poor is, is a matter of justice, not only mercy. All right. So this is a very important point. Um, so the Bible gives us two reasons, right, to love the poor. The first is what I would call gospel reenactment. And this is the reason that uh, we're very familiar with, right? That to help um, and to have mercy on the poor is to give to them what we ourselves have received from God, right? That we're recipients of mercy. You know, we did not deserve God's love and care, um, but he gives it to us as a grace. And so we give it to others as a grace as well. And in that way, we're re-dramatizing the gospel, right? Okay, and so this is a very, you know, we understand this. And we would call this mercy. Okay? But this is not the only motivation, or this is not the only reason the Bible gives us to engage the poor. And this is very important. Um, the second reason, and this is pretty much going to be the focus of the rest of the lesson, right? Because this is so paradigm shifting for us, and many of us, it's not familiar. The second reason is a matter of justice. Okay? To love and help the poor is a matter of justice and not just mercy. And what do I mean by justice? I mean, you know, right and wrong, right? A matter of fairness. Um, a fancy word is a matter of equity. Um, a matter of, of doing right. Okay? Um, so it's a matter of justice and this is where we get the word social justice. This concept is actually came from the Bible, right? And the word social justice is opposed to um, what we would call criminal justice. Okay? So criminal justice is like you bring a criminal, you know, to, to make sure that they get what they deserve. Right, um, and usually for a lot of people, that's our only understanding of justice. We only understand it in criminal terms. But the Bible has a very expansive understanding of justice, and includes this idea of social justice. Some people would call it economic justice. I don't like that word because it's much more than economic, uh, much more than money. Which is that um, the poor are poor because of injustice. And that is a radical concept, right? That um, to help the poor is a matter of rectifying injustice, of making things right, of doing what is, what is good and what is proper and making things fair, right? All right. Um, all right, so some of you are saying, okay, you gotta prove this to me. Um, let's look at some scripture, okay? Uh, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Can I have who's next? Jeff, can you read that for me? For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial in case of right. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. I love the Alright. So Deuteronomy ten is going through the attributes of God. Who is this great God that we we worship? He is great mighty, awesome, right? He's not partially, he doesn't take a bribe, he can't corrupt God. And then in verse 18 it says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Now, 
that should surprise us a little bit because we expect that verse to say something a little bit different, right? What is our expectation in verse 18? That it says, he shows mercy for the fatherless and the widow. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he shows mercy. What does it say? It says he executes justice, right? Um, and then how does he, and how do you show justice, right? So he executes justice. And so how do you show justice to the sojourner? I, I just want to focus on this word real quick. What does sojourner mean? Um, this is the ESV translation. And in a few places, right, they're trying, they're trying to help us to make connections. And so they preserve certain clunky, awkward words purposefully, but it's not that helpful sometimes, um, especially when you take it in isolation. What does the word sojourner mean? Does anyone know? What's a so what does it mean to sojourn? Travel. travel or visit, right? It means to travel or visit. Um, and so what's a sojourn, sojourner? I can't even pronounce it. Sojourner. Uh, the classic sojourner in the Old Testament is who? Does anyone know? Abraham, right? Yeah, so Abraham. Um, so he was traveling, visiting through the promised land, right? Meaning what? He never settled down. He never said, this is my permanent home, you know? He was just moving around, right? And so what's, what's, um, what's a modern equivalent? We don't say, hey, sojourner, right? Maybe back in the Civil War times, there was sojourner truth, right? But what, what's the modern word for sojourner? Foreigner, I, I would say a better word is foreigner because we can say like, oh, people in France, those are foreigners. What's a better word, modern word that we would use? We have a whole bunch of them here in the U.S. Huh? Immigrant, yeah. Okay, immigrant. Um, some contemporary translations put that word immigrant. I agree with the ESV translation to render a sojourner because there's so much richer theological depth to it. But for now... It's, it's helpful to understand it as immigrant. Okay, so how does God show justice to the sojourner, to the immigrant? Okay, by giving him food and clothing. Giving the sojourner food and clothing is a matter of justice. I you say, no, no, no. It says God loves the sojourner. It doesn't say um, justice. Okay, that's true. But you have to understand the way Hebrew works. Hebrew... Um, uh, phrases are almost always in parallel, and what that means is that it's always talking about the same thing, right? So it's not that God gives justice to the fatherless and the widow, but he loves the immigrant, right? He gives justice and loves the widow, the fatherless, and the immigrant. Does that make sense? So this, this, this is the same thing, love and to give justice. And so God gives justice to the sojourner, and it helps us to understand what justice is. What is this justice that the sojourner deserves? What is his, what is his right? Food and clothing, right? Does that make sense? Okay, let's, let's go on. Let me keep pressing it. Um, Isaiah chapter 1. Can I have who's next? Harry, read that. So wait, let me set it up for you. Isaiah 1 is describing the righteous life. What is the righteous life? Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Grant oppression. Bring just, justice to the fatherless. Keep the widows to the father. Okay. So this fills it out our understanding a little bit more, right? The poor, we find out, are victims of injustice. 
whoops, I'm sorry, not injustice, um, victims of um, oppression, sorry. Okay, oppression, because that's what, that's what it says, right? In verse 17, it says, seek justice. What does it mean to seek justice? It's to correct oppression, right? Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what that, exactly that oppression is. What is this oppression that the poor are suffering? Um, and then it says, right, bring justice to the fatherless. Ah, okay, so fatherless. Again, it's kind of a clunky translation. What's the modern concept of fatherless? Who are the fatherless? What's the modern word? Do we say, hey, you, you're fatherless, aren't you? <laughs> what would we say? What's the modern word? Orphan. Good. Actually, um, in the ancient society, um, to be fatherless, you could be fatherless if your mom was still alive. But that was the equivalent of our being an orphan. And do you know why? Like, why does it matter that your dad is dead and not your mom so much? Because your father is the one who provides for you. Your father is the one who is standing in that society, right? And so, if your father was dead, you were completely powerless in that society. You had no one to protect you, to take care of you, to provide for you. You were completely helpless in that society, right? And so, to, um, and so when it says uh, in verse uh, 17, right, bring justice to the fatherless, it means to be, for, to be for the orphans their father, to provide protection for them, to, to provide care and, 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 uh, and uh, care and provision for them because the fact that orphans suffer all of these problems is a matter of injustice. Because if you think about it, think about the logic. Is it the orphan's fault that his father is dead? No. He had absolutely nothing to do with it. And so here you have one person who's an orphan. Here you have another person who has a father. The person with the father is going to be cared for and protected. The person who's an orphan is, is helpless and poor. How is that a matter of fairness? It is not. It's unfair. It's unjust. And so therefore, to do justice is to go to the one who is powerless and to rectify his condition, to provide him all those things which he does not have because he now has no father. Does that make sense? Uh, let, me, let me keep going on pressing further. Now, we know that this is the interpretation of bring justice to the father, fatherless because look at the next, next uh, clause, which is in parallel. It says, plead the widow's cause. Um, here's the concept of widow. That's a modern word, but maybe some of you don't know what a widow is. What's a widow? Anyone? No husband. No husband. That's right. It's a woman with no husband. Yeah, no husband. Sorry, dead. The husband is dead. Sorry, no husband can mean you're single. <laughs> um, don't go to our singles and say, hey, widow. <laughs> Okay, so a widow is someone is a woman whose husband is now dead. Why are we talking? I mean, why uh, should we plead the widow's cause? Because again, right? This is a man's world, and if you're a woman and you don't have a man, if you don't have a husband out there advocating for you, protecting you, fighting for you, then you are um, completely vulnerable in that society. And so it says, plead the widow's cause, meaning the widow is trampled on, 
So you step in there and you act as her advocate. You fight for her. You defend her because no one else, because her husband won't, is not there to do it. Does that make sense? That's what it means to do justice. To do justice is to plead the widow's cause, to, to, to plead the fatherless's cause. Does that make sense? All right, let me keep going. Micah 6, chapter 6. Um, who's next? Can I have Eric read Micah 6? What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? All right, so what this passage shows us, first of all, is that God is not pleased with our mere religiosity, right? He's not pleased if um, we just pray and read the Bible and we neglect the poor, right? He says, that's not what pleases me. And then in verse um, 8, he says, this is what pleases me, this is what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Now, it's very important for us to understand that those three things are not three separate things. Like, I re God says, I really like it when you do justice. I really like it when you love mercy. And then this other thing, walk humbly. Right? Again, in the Hebrew, the way Hebrew works, poetry works, is that um, they're all basically the same thing. Right? This is all one and the same thing. So that you cannot do one and say, I'll neglect the other two. They all fit together in lockstep. You cannot say, I do justice and I walk humbly, but I don't do mercy. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? They all fit together. And what that tells us then is that justice and mercy is one and the same thing. Yeah. You see the sort of different aspects of the same act. Yeah, you can say that. Different aspects. I think that's a proper way to say it. Um, it's different ways of understanding or looking at the same thing that you're doing. Right. But... But it's the same activity. Right, yeah, right. exactly. Um, and I think this right here is, right here, what I just circled, that should just explode in your mind. Because we tend to think of justice and mercy as opposite forces. Right? We tend to think of justice as uh, people getting what they deserve. Right? People, if you work hard, you get to keep your money. If you're poor, well, tough luck for you. That's justice. The Bible says no. Right? For the, for the rich to just hold all their money and hoard it, and for the poor to suffer um, deprav what is it? To suffer uh, hunger and, and deprivation, that is unjust and that is wrong, is what this verse is telling us, right? Um, and so and I think um, this is challenging for us because we tend to think of the poor uh, deserving their poverty. Um, and we tend to think of the rich uh, deserving their wealth. Um, so we tend to think of it like this. Let me, let me draw this chart. Okay, we tend to think of it like this, right? The poor are poor. Why? Because
because they're lazy and immoral. They're bums. They're bums. Right? They're bums. And then we tend to think of the rich as what? Hardworking. Radical individualists. <laughs> Hardworking and, and full of merit, that they merit their wealth. Right? And the Bible's understanding is really complex and rich. Okay, the Bible's understanding just explodes all categories. Because the Bible says to this understanding, yes. For many, many poor people, it's true, right? They're poor because it's their own fault, right? Their own laziness and immorality. And the rich, for many of the rich, they deserve it. They worked hard, they sweated, you know, they, they went out there and they earned a keep, right? However, that is not the complete picture. The Bible says there's more going on, and that more going on is that the poor um, are victims of injustice. Okay? And that the rich have unfair advantages. And then we'll, um, we'll talk about this near the end, but that they also um, benefit from oppression. Okay, and we'll talk about what is that. And so this is the understanding, right? And this is why to engage and help the poor is a matter of justice because you're rectifying this thing. You're rectifying injustice. And it's not fair that the rich should keep all that they have. It's not merely that when the rich helps the poor, they're not just saying, here you undeserving people, I'm showing you mercy. That's true, right? That's true for this category, but it's also a matter of justice. It's also the rich recognizing, hey, all of my wealth, it's unfair that I'm so wealthy and you are so poor, okay? Um, so let's, let's unpack that. Turn to the next page. Uh, the Bible has a nuanced and complex understanding of poverty. So A, on the one hand, poverty is a result of laziness and immorality. Okay, So we're going to look at this, this concept. right? And so the Bible has a lot of verses on this. Let me just give you two sample verses. Okay, can you read uh, Proverbs 6 and then Melissa, can you read Proverbs 23? How long will you lie there, O slumber? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will come upon you, but they're robbing, they want them to robbing. Yeah, so why are the poor poor? They're lazy, because they, uh, uh, they love to sleep, right? Not all, but much of the poor, that's the reason, right, Melissa? But none among drunkards are among gluttonous eaters of meat. But the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Yeah, drunkard and glutton. So if you are an immoral person, immorality will lead to poverty. Right? So that's part of the picture. And for a lot of people, that's where they stop. And that's why they condemn the poor. Because they say, oh, they deserve it. But that's not the complete picture. In fact, the Bible's uh, understanding of the poor, I would say, if we have to put it in a percentage, I would say that the, the, the biggest understanding is actually this second category, victims of injustice. And let's look at some Proverbs there. So on the, one hand, on the other hand, poverty is a result of calamity and injustice. Calamity is maybe a big word. What does calamity mean? Does anyone know definition of calamity? Other than the Western calamity Jane. 
What, is, what does calamity mean? Anyone? Disaster. Disaster, right. So poverty is a result of disaster or injustice, okay? Uh, Proverbs 13, who's next? Can I have a Murray Proverbs 13? That is a, an amazing statement. Did you guys just hear that, right? The poor have farms, right? They have land. And it would actually produce a lot of food, and it would produce for them great wealth. Not great wealth, but wealth. But then what happens? It's swept away through injustice. Now, what is this thing that is swept, what is the thing that swe sweeps it away? What do you guys think this proverb's talking about? What act sweeps away the food, takes the food away? Flooding, yeah, it could be a, some kind of like natural disaster like a drought or a flood or locusts. What else? It could be war, like, well, you know, two armies gather and then they fight over your battlefield and oh, there's no more food, there's no more uh, crops. Or it could be uh, oppressive taxation. So all these things, is it the farmer's fault that his lands no longer produce food? It's not his fault. Right? He could be working hard, he could be uh, a moral person, and then because of injustice, the food is taken away. Right? Let's look at Proverbs chapter 10. Can, Eric, can I have you read that? This verse, I think, is amazing. This is one of the deepest verses right, on this whole issue of wealth and poverty. What is this verse telling us? That the rich get richer, and the poor get poor. That's what this is saying, right? A rich man's wealth is his strong city. It protects him. But then the poverty of the poor is their ruin, right? We tend to think of it like this, right? Here's the rich. Here's the poor, right? And we tend to think, oh, you know, the rich over time get richer. And the poor, they also earn some more money. But there's, you know, there's this gap. That's not what, the, that's not what Proverbs 10 is telling us. Proverbs 10 is telling us the rich, their wealth is their strong city, it protects them, it allows them to prosper, but the poverty of the poor makes them poor by virtue of their poverty. Not because they're immoral or lazy, but because they're poor. Does that make sense? And let me give you some contemporary examples. Maybe we don't fully accept this idea. Um, let's talk about crime. Okay? If you are rich, you live in a rich neighborhood. And what does that mean? You know, you see a cat burglar across the street, you pick up 911 and you call, what's gonna happen? Five minutes later, three cop cars are surrounding that house, right? And they're like, what's going on? You live in East Oakland. You hear a woman being raped out on the street. You call, 30 minutes later, an hour later, the police show up. And they're like, so what's going on, <laughs> right? There's, there's an unfair, inequitable, um, response to crime based on whether you're rich or poor. The rich get criminal justice. The poor do not get justice. Right? Simply because they're poor. Just because they live in a poor neighborhood, they're more likely to be victims of crime. They're more likely to be just walking on the street and get mugged. But if you're rich, you're walking along the street, you say hi to your neighbors, you walk along right, the park. Let's talk about education. Right? If you're rich, you go to a fantastic school, world-class school, you get the best opportunities, and we know that education is the key to the future, right? Without education, you cannot get 
you cannot climb, right? Um, but the poor, they go to run-down schools, schools that are broken, you know, schools where there's gangs and drugs involved, the teachers don't care. Is that fair? Is it fair that the rich get an awesome education and the poor get terrible education? It's not, right? And because of that, the poor get poorer, it, it spirals down, and the rich perpetuate their wealth and get richer and richer, right? Or let's talk about um, health. This is, I think, is a really interesting, is a really interesting thing, right? Um, Christine and I, we like to, we have two grocery markets next to us, right? One grocery market is like, kind of like a Whole Foods, right? And it has like fresh produce and organic food and everything. And we go there, right? It's actually closer to Berkeley. And it's like, all the clientele are like white and they're all yuppie and they're wearing Birkenstocks and they're all, the, everyone's driving like, you know, uh, Volkswagen or like a Prius. And so everyone's doing well and they get to buy produce and this expensive fresh organic food. And then we have another grocery market kind of closer to Oakland, right? The clientele is 95% black, right? All the cars are kind of like, you know, 1985 Toyotas, right? And the produce sucks. It's like disgusting. The fruit is rotting, right? All the shelves are like this is, is, is in disarray, right? And the produce section is tiny. Right, the, the, the whole foods that we go to, half the grocery market is fresh food, and only the other half is um, packaged goods. In the poor supermarket, 85% is packaged goods, and then the rest is like rotten fruits and so forth. And so the poor cannot eat healthy. The cheapest calorie is at, is at uh, fast food places. So if you're poor, and you have little kids, and they're starving, and you don't have enough money to buy fresh fruits and vegetables, you go to McDonald's, because that will fill them up. But then that condemns them to ob obesity. So that's why um, obesity and, and poverty is actually closely linked. And then, the, and then um, looking good and having a healthy, sh shiny body is closely connected to, <laughs> to wealth, right? Right? I mean, who can afford to go to 24-hour fitness? The rich, right? The poor, you know, they try to, their workout, I guess, is maybe like dodging bullets and trying to run from the gangs, right? That's, I mean, the, from the biblical understanding, that is a matter of injustice. Proverbs 10 tells us the poverty of poor is their ruin, and the wealth of the rich is their strong city. Okay, yeah. You think there's also, you know, you go back to the poor side, lazy immoral can also lead to victims of injustice. If a man uh, is a drunkard, he's a criminal, and so forth, and he gets a woman pregnant, whether or not she's his wife, then the woman is at a disadvantage because of the actions of the man. The children are at a disadvantage, so that because of the simple actions of a man, yeah. he then sets up the, the social scenario in which the women and orphans, or, I, I think this or is a poor children, are at a disadvantage. Yeah, this is a fantastic point that Eric's making. I think these two things like interconnect, right, and they feed into each other, right. And so, the, the thing is, for the poor, if they, if they do something foolish, right, um, and, and maybe they do something to damage their health, it could just devastate them and destroy their entire finances and family. The rich, they have a huge margin of error because they have all this cushion, right? So they do something foolish and stupid, right? What's gonna happen? They get bailed out, right? They get protected so that the poor, the poor are poor, 
you know, because of this vicious inner feeding, like interplay, you know, and, and, and so they're surrounded by other poor people who have these issues. And so it, it's, 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 I mean, you can read books on poverty and it just talks about the incredible complexity. And I think I love what the Bible says because it summarizes it in, in Proverbs 10. Actually, the whole book of Proverbs is just so complex. All right, let me keep going because time. Um, Proverbs 14. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. This to me is really like heart aching to me because um, there's something called social capital, right? Social capital is your friendships and networks, right? And we know that in life, it's not just about your talents. It's not just about your wealth. It's about who you know and, and doors opening up for you, right? We all know that, right? You can't get on, you can't get through in life without being connected. And what does this passage tell us? It says the rich have doors open to them. The rich have friends that hook them up and, and provide all the support, but the poor have no friends or the friends run away from them. They don't, they're not rich in social capital. To me, that's like, wow, that's so chilling. Okay, so point number four there. Therefore, helping the poor is not merely a matter of mercy, but it's a matter of justice. Okay, let me repeat that. Therefore, helping the poor is not merely a matter of mercy, but it's a matter of justice. Let's read Isaiah 58. Um, Tommy, can you read Isaiah 58 for me? Is not this the path that I chose to lead you bonds of weakness to undo the straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. It is not to share your bread with hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, and you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Yeah, this is a fantastic passage. Um, and what is this telling us? It says that to fight unrighteousness and oppression is to engage the poor and to help the poor, right? So that, again, helping the poor is not merely a matter of mercy. It is mercy, but it's a matter of justice. And that is a foundational paradigm in the Bible. Um, so that God commands us, help the poor. Not just because you're showing mercy, but because, and I, and I know I'm being re very repetitive, but this is important but because it's a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of fairness. Okay? Let's go to uh, Zacharias uh, chapter 7. Who's next? Uh, uh, Eric, can I have you read that? Thus says the, uh, the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Yeah, so... Uh, this is interesting because it labels four categories. The widow, the fatherless, so the widow, the, uh, the uh, orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. What do all these four categories have in, have in common? They're all people who are powerless, people who are vulnerable, people who don't have someone protecting them, advocating for them. And so therefore, right, to, be, um, to, be, to do justice is to equalize power and balance. Okay? Justice is to equalize power imbalance. Okay? Um, let's do a song 146. Let me read it for you guys. Blessed is he whose help 
is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So what that's telling us, look at verse 7, right? God executes justice. And how does he execute justice? Again, what is justice? Look at the next clause. Giving food to the hungry. That's justice. That's biblical justice, right? We can't escape that. And then um, look at verse 9, right? Um, it says, uh, The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Do you notice that God compares the poor with what? The rich? No. He compares the poor to the what? The wicked. And there, we're just getting a taste of, of the complex view of wealth. We tend to think of people who are rich as being rich because, um, because uh, uh, they work hard and they have merit and they have smarts. But the Bible says a lot of wealth is a matter of injustice, of oppression, of unfair advantages, right? And I wish we can go into that a little bit more, but it's just a, a little bit, a little taste of, of, of the depth here. Um, and so, Here's my conclusion. God loves the poor. God lifts up those who are lowly. God is for the poor. And if we uh, love God, then we will be for the exact same things. We will love the poor. We will want to do justice. Okay? So, um, any questions or comments or thoughts? No? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that um, we would have a heart like yours, uh, that we would love the poor. We know that you identify with the poor, that you're for the poor, that you uh, use the poor for your glory. And that uh, we pray that uh, we would have that same heart, the same vision, and we would not neglect the poor. We would not condemn the poor, but rather we would be advocates for the poor. Um, I pray that in that sense, uh, it would not just be mercy, but that we would be restoring what is right and fair and equitable. We pray all this in Christ's name.